Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations at Ellen Becker Investment Group. I was at a women's Christian retreat not too long ago, and they asked all of us, how do you want to be remembered between the dash? And all of us kind of looked at each other with a puzzled look. What does that mean? Well, they went on to explain that on your headstone is the date you were born and the date that you left this world. And the dash that separates those dates indicates the time you spent on this earth. So what did you do at that time? Did you live it well and with purpose, or did you squander it? According to George Bernard Shaw, he said, two things define you, your patience when you have nothing and your attitude when you have everything. So I had the opportunity to talk with people who lived their dash well. They had benevolent hearts and attitudes. They lived with intention and purpose and impact and inspired people along the way. One of those people is my guest today. Welcome Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor of Ellen Becker Investment Group. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for asking me, Jill. I'm always on the other side of the table. <laughs> I know. This is kind <laughs> this of different, is, right? This is different. <laughs> well, I it's hard for me to believe that we are starting our seventh year of this radio show. It seems like just yesterday you asked me to be a part of this. Uh, I've learned so much and met so many great people along the way. I remember when we first started talking about this opportunity, and you said something that stuck with me. You said people would ask you what the return on investment is for this show. And your response was, I'm not worrying about that. Sometimes you just do things because it's the right thing to do. I think that says so much about you and the way you live your life. For people listening who don't know your story, you're going to be in for a treat. We had a client event recently where I sat at a table with a woman uh, who was listening to your story, and she said, this never gets old. I could listen all the time, time after time, because it's so inspirational. One of the goals of our show is to inspire people along with informing them and impacting them. And I think this interview today is going to hit the mark on all three of those goals. So let's get started and share some inspiration with our audience today. According to a study conducted by Advisor Perspectives, 80 to 90 percent of financial advisors fail in the first three years. Another study by Startup Talk found that almost 90 percent of startups fail, regardless of the industry that they belong to. However, the retention rate for financial advisors is even lower. By the fifth year, only 15 to 16 percent of advisors will still be in business. Now, that doesn't sound very inspirational, does it? <laughs> but I think it's interesting to share those stats and then hear how EIG came to be. So, Karen, what brought you to the place where you are now? And why is it so important to live with intention and purpose so that you can feel confident that you lived your dash well? That is a that is a really big question, Joe. Because I have to say that for most of my life, I just got up every single day and put my foot forward and did the best that I could possibly do. I really didn't think about that dash. Um, I didn't think about the dash until about three years ago when I was um, offered the opportunity to do a TEDx talk for UWM in Milwaukee and. I thought this is 
crazy. What? Who would want to know anything about my life? And what could I possibly have to offer that would be inspirational or would um, interest anyone? And so I sat down and got a coach to help me look at my life, I guess. And we looked back and looked at all the different things that had happened and how it had happened. And, you know, I've said so many times to you and to all of my clients and friends that every around every single corner, God was there leading me and listening to that voice within and listening to the, the difference that I could make. And I don't necessarily know that I totally believed in myself, but... I believe that if I was doing the right thing, it would all fall into place. And it did. And so when I look back to the um, Power of Positive Disruption, which was by TEDx, which aired two years ago, I've had 267,000 views. Wow. <laughs> and over 10% of the views have left comments as to how it impacted their life and how they saw themselves. So that alone gives me chills because 267,000 people wanted to listen to me. And so what I'm going to share with you today is it's actually very difficult for me because I'm kind of one of those people that just likes to encourage other people, but I don't like to talk about the things I do. But when I started to look back, how did I learn the things that I learned that I think differentiated me from what other people were doing. So in high school, I worked at the Glendale Nursing Home. I went to Nicolay High School, and I used to walk underneath the road and go across where the football field was and go to the Glendale Nursing Home. And what I learned there was to listen mm-hmm. because the um, wh- people who were there, and it was a tr- traditional nursing home, they didn't have a lot of company. They didn't have a lot of people. And I started out by doing diapers, believe it or not. And when the wash were going and the dryer was going, I go and talk to people. And um, and then they promoted me to give, doing food and trays. And from there, they saw what I was doing with the people. And they promoted me to working in the physical therapy and in that area. And there, I was paid to listen. Mm. I was paid to talk to these people. And what I learned there was the more I listened, the more they told me, and the closer we became. And it it was, my friends would say, why are you working there? And when I would walk in there, these residents, their eyes would tear up and they couldn't wait to see me. And I'd take them to church, write letters and do birthday parties. So that was the first place that I really learned to listen. And really, as a kid growing up, um, I wasn't listened to. And uh, in fact, my mother would say things like, you're a busybody. You're always asking too many questions. Can't you sit still for a minute? (laughs) (laughs) So one of the first things and the first times in my life that I was really listened to was working in the nursing home. I also worked at Mamma Mia's at the same time. And um, there I learned about the benefit to giving good service Mm -hmm. because I always got really great tips. After graduation from Nicolet, I went to Columbia Hospital. I was an x-ray tech, and I learned about 
about the fear that people felt about things they didn't understand. And in there, I learned to take the time to explain to my patients how I was doing the x-ray, how I was doing the barium enema, how I was doing some of the um, intravenous um, things for kidneys. I really took the time. And what I found was that they were so relaxed and the test turned out better because they were being educated. And as you know, education is one of the things that Julie and I really take a stand on and feel is very important. Then, of course, um, I got married, had three kids, got divorced, still had three kids, <laughs> and no child support. So I was really desperate um, to find my way. We had the Ellen Becker Investment Group. I worked with my husband. And then, of course, we got divorced. I no longer had that. I did not want to go back to uh, being an x-ray technician because I felt that it was, um, there was no connection. People came in, had their x-rays, and they left. I never had any idea what happened to them. And so then I started, I got a job selling um, long-distance dialers for the Sampsons. I sold out um, all the businesses within a three-hour <laughs> radius, and then they told me I had to start to travel overnight. Well, three kids, oh, yeah. I wasn't going to be able to do that. So one day, um, I was having someone, a uh, high school student, um, painting my house, and I, uh, he was just graduating and going to college at UW-Madison, and I said, I was talking to him, I said, well, what are you going to do when you go to school? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, are you going to do whatever your father does, you know, a fireman, an Indian chief? He said, oh, God, no, he said. My dad is a stockbroker, and he is so crabby, but he makes a lot of money. <laughs> and I thought, well, I'm never crabby, and... I need to make money, so this must be a perfect job for me. So I called up his dad, and his dad got me an interview with Peter Banzaf at Robert W. Baird, 1987. And um, one of the things most people don't know is I never went to college. And so I was really nervous going into this interview. Um, I'd never owned a stock. I'd never owned a bond. I had no idea what a stockbroker was. But I went in there, and the minute he saw me, he said, we're not hiring. He thought that I was one of his, um, one of uh, Bob's, who's the dad's, um, kids looking for a summer job mm. coming in. And I, I said, well, that's okay. I'm not really looking for a job. I'm just trying to learn all about it. I've been in the jewelry business. I knew a lot of wealthy people, you know, the old schmoozer. And anyways, I left there with a job. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I left there with a job. I had no idea what I was doing. I was up against all these college graduates. It was hard. It was really hard for me. But um, I did it. I did it. And, you know, it was really crazy um, because so many things happened during that time that there just isn't time to explain. But so many wonderful things happened, and I learned so much. But I also learned the things that I didn't like. I didn't like selling things uh, for commission. I didn't like the idea that I was dialing for dollars. We never saw people face-to-face. -face. Um, we weren't really um, taught about anything other than selling products to people. And we only did it over the phone. I never saw a client ever. And so because I worked in the nursing home, one of the things that the brokers there didn't like is they didn't like talking to older people. Because over the phone, you couldn't get your points across. They couldn't remember. They were afraid to sell things because everything was sold over the phone. And so I would go to people's houses. So every single phone call that came in that people got for elderly people, 
I got. And who do you think had all the money? It was the older people. <laughs> so uh, that happened to me. And then the other thing that happened to me was that I was a broker of the day. And um, one of the people who is still a client of mine over 30 years um, came to me and he worked for Wisconsin Bell and he had all different plans and I had no idea what he had but I was honest I said I don't understand this could you tell me who I could call in your human resource department so he called gave me the name of Ken Marzokowski and he said I'll give you 20 minutes and I said okay two and a half hours later (laughs) We were talking, and I thanked him, and I walked out of the office with my back out to the door. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Would you be willing to do seminars for me? And so I did. They were called garbage can seminars. I would go at 3 in the morning, 5 in the morning, 3 in the afternoon, whenever they brought the trucks in, and they unloaded the garbage from their trucks and got their own cars. From that, um, I was made broker of the year. It was a great year. Um, but, you know, every year you start at zero. And so I was like, well, no more retirees. I've already got them. Where do I go next? At the exact same time, um, I was offered a job with the MNI Bank as vice president in their personal trust department. There I had, I, I was paid a salary, and I left Robert W. Baird, I went to tell my boss, and he said, how could you do that to me? I made you who you are. Mm. And I said, "Mm, you gave me an opportunity, Jim. I made myself who I am. And, uh, you know, I was leaving my entire book of business, so that was my first startup. So going to the MNI Bank was my second startup. I had to build a whole new book of business. I learned so much at the MNI Bank, again, and things that didn't work for me. I learned about tax planning. I learned about estate planning, legacy planning. I learned about fee-based, which was so different than selling people on a commission, where I often felt that I made more than they did. Um, But I learned that they had pooled assets, which were really kind of a, a negative thing because it was handcuffing people. They couldn't leave because they would have to assume all that tax liability. Um, I, I, I really loved what I was doing, and it came to be a point where my parents had sold their house, and they were, um, I felt that they really would benefit by having all these wonderful services that the M&I had, and what it would be wonderful to just be able to charge them a percent and not charge them on investments that I was buying and selling. So I approached my boss, and he said, well, how much money do they have, money? And I said, well, I told him, and he said, but they need a million dollars. A million dollars is the minimum. And I said, but it's my parents. I'll take care of them. I'll do it. And he said, no. And that was the turning point for me because I realized that why shouldn't everybody have the same benefits, the same tax planning? We didn't learn that as a broker. So it just so happened, another um, angel um, that the regulations changed and the MNI Bank could not hold my securities license. And that was my college education. And I was not willing to give that up. So my old boss from Robert Baird had been calling me over and over, sure you don't want to come back? Are you sure you didn't want to come back? So I called him and I said, I'm ready to come back. <laughs> so there was my third startup of creating another book of business. And um, At the same time, um, what I was trying to do was take the best of what I learned from being a broker and a commission sales 
broker. And what I was learned at the MNI Bank about all the planning and do a holistic approach to um, my business at Dame Bosworth. But they wouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, they thought that it, I should be dialing for dollars again, like the traditional broker. Um, you know, how much commission have you made today? How many calls have you made? And I wanted to sit down with clients and help them with their estate plan. And they said, no, you can't do that. Give them a business card. Well, people never did it. And I wanted to do um, fee-based business. And at that time, we could do level load. But that wasn't the best thing either. And so I happened to have started my radio show. And I was interviewing uh, author Tracy Goss. And she wrote a book, The Last Word on Power. And one of the things she said, the easiest way of remembering it, was that it's almost like a divorce. You don't tell somebody, I want a divorce, I want a divorce 100 times. You make a decision that that's what you want, and you go forward. And you don't go to a boss and ask for a raise, and he says no, and then go back and work. It's the last word on power is standing up for who you are and what you want. And so I was talking to Tracy many times. I think I interviewed her every other, student five nights a week live, and I think I interviewed her once a month. And one day I said, and I asked her all the questions that were bothering me about what I was doing, and I figured if they were bothering me, other people must have the same concerns. And one day after the show was over, I said, Tracy, I'd love to come to one of your seminars. And she said, I'd love to have you. It's $30,000 oh my goodness, for a week seminar. And I said, <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. And um, she said, you know, you've been so good to me selling my book. She said, I'll tell you what, if you make a promise to me that whatever you do, whatever you say, I'll help you write a business plan. And so I sat down with myself and... Um, and uh, Jolene, who was my sales assistant at that time, and that's a whole nother story. And um, we wrote a business plan. And I went and gave it to my boss. And I gave him 30 days to get back to me. And Tracy called me and said, so what did they say about your business plan? And I said, well, I haven't heard it. And she said, get your butt up there and find out. So I walked up there and I asked him and he said, what business plan? Mm. And uh, He's, I said, remember, I gave it to you. And he said, oh, and he opened up his drawer, and it was at the bottom of his drawer. He'd never even looked at it. So I went back and called Tracy, and she said, when are you leaving? Mm -hmm. And I eventually would have, but not at that point. And so I started thinking about it. And on December, Christmas Eve of December of 1996, I left and gave. I didn't give a notice this time. Um, I was leaving on Christmas Eve. I felt that nobody would be there because they were all out celebrating and gone home. Nobody would be around the next week because it was Christmas week. And as we were carrying out our stuff, my boss forgot his wife's present, and he came in the door and saw me, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm leaving. I'm going to start my own fee-based business. And he looked at me, and he said, nobody is ever going to pay you a fee to manage their money. And I looked at him and I said, I, I believe that they will. And he said, see that desk over there? He said, you'll be back and you can come back. It'll be yours. And then he picked up this value line book as Julie and I were backing into the elevator and threw it at us. And the it hit the side of the elevator and it exploded, papers flying everywhere. And I looked at Julie as the doors were closing and I said, Julie, he'll work for me before I ever work for him again. <laughs> and that was the start up of my fourth 
company, my fourth startup of building um, Ellen Becker Investment Group. And when we started there, I was in a 1,200-foot building, and um, I had four goals. I wanted to provide um, a deeper and better investment products and services to my clients. I wanted a safe environment for employees to grow personally and professionally. I wanted to change the perception of the financial industry, and I wanted to be a model that other financial companies could see that you could do business ethically and profitably. And, you know, I always talk about the return on community. There is such an important piece to our business on giving back. And so at that time, we had 1,300 square feet um, of business, of space. Today, we have 20,000 square feet. We had about $100 million under management, and now we have $1.5 billion under management. And Julie, who would go to my seminars and hand out pencils and um, papers, and my kids would do that because I couldn't afford a babysitter. She today is the president of Ellen Becker Investment Group. And nobody wants anyone to change their baby's clothes, and Julie hasn't. When I walked in my office and started my company in 1996, and I walk in my office and I start my company today, I have that same feeling of peace and knowing that we're doing the right thing and we're giving the right services. And she has kept all the clothes that I had and she has built a business on our values and it is so much bigger, so much better. And I love it. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so that was a fast 30 years. Well, and that the story never gets old and I'm not the only one to say that. I think people can get a good sense for who you are and how you roll hearing that story. Um, which is a great way to start out the year, I think. Let's take a quick break right now, but stay tuned and we'll learn more about EIG when we return. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking in this segment with Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor at Ellenbecker Investment Group. So I said before the break that I think the audience can get a real sense for how important it is to you to be sure that you're doing the right thing, not only for clients, but employees too. But what about doing the right thing in the community? Social responsibility is becoming increasingly important for businesses, and it refers to the idea that companies should not only focus on maximizing profits, but also consider the impact of their actions on society. There are several ways that social responsibility uh, can be met for businesses. It makes an organization more attractive for prospective employees, particularly millennials. It can boost employee morale and lead to more engaged employees, can lead to greater productivity, and it can enhance public trust, to name a few. So tell us, Karen, why social responsibility is so important to you and what ways we are practicing it at EIG. That's such a wonderful question because I think that as a owner of a company, um, someone who has set the goals to um, be a model for other businesses, that social responsibility, I call it return on community, is so very important. But it really starts with modeling it. It starts by doing and being. There is 
a lot of things that you can do to be socially responsible, to give back to the community that have a lot of tax advantages. But it's when you give with your heart, when you um, can step into that space and have empathy. And for me, it comes back to my belief that in my own way, I try to be an apostle of God, and I feel that I'm on this earth to do his work. He's not there, and he works through me. And I'm so blessed by having had this wonderful career that I could have never even envisioned that I would have this because I was desperate, I was poor, I was trying to feed my kids, and here we are. And so God has graced me with not only the financial ability to give back to things that I believe in and things that we want to do, but he's also given me the desire to be a role model. And I know you mentioned about our business, and certainly that's an important thing, but it all starts at home. And so for my children, um, I did um, cards not too long ago, where I asked them to go out into the community and do some action. And I put stamps on them, my address, and I said, send it back to me. And so I was getting these like in the mail from my grandkids of acts of kindness that they did. And then about seven years ago, I started giving each one of my grandchildren at Thanksgiving, uh, which is an important date of of being thankful for what you have. I gave them each uh, an amount of money that I asked them to um, find a charity that they wanted to what they would want to give to. And at Christmas, at Christmas dinner, they bring out their little notepad that I gave them, and they tell why they want to give money to that charity. And they have to write down the address, and the money goes from my IRA, because I'm over 70 and a half, just to give everybody, if you tried to do the numbers, <laughs> I'm 74. Um, and I can take it out of there. So it is a tax advantage. But what I've noticed is that I can see my grandchildren becoming more aware. The first year we did it, it was they picked anything. Um, and then they started to think about it. And last year, my grandson, Jaden, who was in eighth grade, called me and he said, Nana, I know that we're supposed to give it to a what is that, 5-0-something? And uh, he said, but you know, at school we have a Christmas tree and there's mittens on it with names of people for Christmas. And he said, there's a whole bunch left. He said, could I take my $1,000 and buy the tree and give it to give it to them? I know it's not that 501c3 thing. <laughs> and I said, Jaden, it doesn't matter. But what it did is it started them looking. And that's the same thing with our employees. If we give... And we have our charitable foundation. And so on each anniversary, each one of our um, employees receives $1,000 that they can pick a charity in their name to give it to. And so it's walking the talk. It's doing it alongside. It's not... Um, it's one one of my friends, Dan Burris, said... I was telling him that I was doing um, meetings with all of my our employees. And I said, I want them all to be extraordinary. And he said, Karen, you can't ask anybody to be extraordinary. They have to choose to be extraordinary. And people have to choose to want to give. They have to choose that, that they get more than what they give. And I always get more than what I give. And I think what's so great about that is that you are, through the foundation, the EIG Charitable Foundation, we support four uh, 
charities quarterly. But that's something that the EIG Foundation decides. EIG is then supporting the employee for what's important to them by giving them money to then go out and donate to we, up to two charities. We have to give a certain amount of money away every year. And Julie and I just looked at each other and said, why should we decide where it goes? Because we do allow our employees to give to the chair to our charity as well why not let our employees decide where it goes and so now we have almost 50 employees that receive that during the year and they give a little blip as to why to everybody it's important to them and you know what it did it opened up our hearts to understand like now we know family members that have certain diseases and for certain things people who have died in a car crash and have had this so many charities are started with a difficult situation mm -hmm. and we learn so much about our employees we learn they learn about us yeah yeah I mean there are so many things that we do and obviously time does not permit us to go into everything but you know the the what I love is the support for the employees so not only are we given that um, that money to donate to charities but we also get time off to volunteer so that encourages us to get out there uh, again we said we have an EIG charitable foundation a number of employees are involved in boards which again is just um, putting action to whatever passion they have to serve and then a big thing obviously is this radio show so yes. you've had money sense for what 34 five years something yes. like that and we're now going into our seventh year of this radio show which our goal again is to highlight and bring awareness to the great work that other people are doing and getting back to what I said at the opening you're saying sometimes you just do what you need to do because it's the right thing to do. Well, and so many charities don't have the marketing dollars. And this, you know, I was looking for what could I do here in our community? So we have the show. It's a gift back to the community. And it's a gift also to my clients who are retiring and don't know what to do. Because people would give if they knew what to give to. Right, right. And now they have over 400 different options that they could <laughs> listen to. Well, there are multiple ways that people can practice social responsibility. We just shared a number of different ways that EIG is engaging. But there's another way that you can have a massive impact within the community. So stay tuned to learn what that is and how Karen and EIG are engaging after commercial break. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations, and we're continuing our conversation today with Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor, about living with purpose and intention. So I said before the break that there's another way, a really great way to have an impact within the community you serve, and quite possibly nationally and or globally. So share with us, Karen, what you're doing in the nonprofit space. Well, it's really very exciting. Um, about five years ago, my granddaughter Taylor and I decided to write a book together, and it is called My Pillow Has Wings. It's a true story of lost love and forgiveness, and um, we did that just for each other to kind of open up our communication lines. I raised Taylor from the age that she was three years old until she was into high school. And she went through a lot of very difficult times of being bullied and teased because she didn't have a mom. And she would often ask me at night, 
where's my mom, Nana? And she started having night terrors and a lot of things going on. And I happened to be shopping at the Kohl's department store and I found a bed set that looked like clouds. And I bought it and I brought it home for her and I put it on her bed. And that night I said, Taylor, this is a very special pillowcase. It's magic, just like the Aladdin. You can go anywhere and talk to your mom and tell her you love her. And she did. We prayed. We said our prayers. And then she got in her pillowcase and closed her eyes. And she looked at me and she said, but Nana, where would she be? And I said, she could be anywhere, maybe under an apple tree. And so we sat down and we wrote the book together. And we put it out there to sell it. It's online. It's called My Pillow Has Wings. And it wasn't a big hit. I mean, we didn't do a lot of marketing. We didn't do a lot of things with it. But people started reading it. And they came back to us and told us that it had such an impact on not only the child that is being read to, because it's more for K-5 through fifth grade, but it was um, an impact on them. Mm. And so we started talking to psychologists, and they recommended that we do a companion workbook. So we've done 10, ten lessons to understanding big feelings, and it has a wonder. Each child gets a book, gets a companion um, workbook. They get a pillowcase, and then they get a. We have an art activation project where they can do that in their classroom, and they make their own pillowcase. And so currently now, um, we have um, o- almost 360 students. In um, We have St. Lu- Lumen, St. Martini. We've got St. Peter Emanuel. Seton Schools, we're in St. Margaret Mary. Um, Northwest Cath- Catholic School, we're in St. Catharines. And St. Marcus, so the Seton Schools. And my goal next year is I'm hoping that we're going to be able to raise enough money to get into every hand of every Christian school and every child. It teaches empathy. And so many beautiful things happen. The teachers doing it um, over this 13, 14-week program, they learn so much about what's happening in the children's lives beyond school, and they're able to support them in a different way. We have just had the the most wonderful comments from um, the school and the teachers. So it's been wonderful. And so Pillow with Wings is a faith-based 5013C nonprofit organization. We develop educational projects and programs based on real-life experience. And our goal overall is to deliver meaningful, actionable content from books and videos and other things. They promote spiritual, physical, and emotional well-being that really can transform lives. Because of this, and I went to one of the schools and I said, you know, this is a proof of concept and um, we're going to do a pilot program. We'll pay for this piece, but I need you to give me feedback and I need the parents to give me feedback. And the teachers, and he said, Karen, I can give you all that, but I can't give you parent feedback because The parents barely come to the teachers' conferences. They're not going to do it. I can't promise you that. And I go back and say, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? I can't do a pilot program if I don't have feedback. And I happened to be talking to another restaurant in Florida where I was volunteering with Hurricane Eon, and he told me about a program that he did with food. And so I went to bed, woke up, God spoke to me, (laughs) and said, you can do this. And so I came back, talked to the principal, and I said, could I do a food program and do a party at the end? And maybe they'd come and, and open it with a party. And he said, have at it, basically. <laughs> and then I, I got spiritually um, gifted with a 
knowledge of calling it Connect, Nourish, and Grow. And so it's a program where we connect the students, the teachers, the parents, the community. We nourish them with food and, of course, spiritual, and we all grow. And so it's Connect, Nourish, and Grow. And that has been absolutely fabulous. And from the Connect, Nourish, and Grow, last time we did it at Seton, five or six little boys came up to me, maybe third grade. And we were Taylor and I were signing um, books for them, and they loved seeing Taylor. In fact, um, one little girl came up to Taylor and hugged her and said, I want you to be my sister. <laughs> and, uh, and another little boy said to Taylor, how old are you anyways? <laughs> and Taylor said, I'm 27. But when this happened, I was little like you. And so they came up to me, and they didn't want me to sign their book. They wanted me to write Nana on their hands. And I looked at the principal, and he said, go ahead. That's okay. So I wrote Nana, and I put a heart underneath it. And that night I was just praying on it. What does that mean? And I realized that we had talked a lot about how I was there for Taylor and how I supported her. And I realized that they needed someone like a Nana that they could talk to and that would affirm for them that their voice was important. So we've also added in now a resident NANA program, and it's called NANAs for Young Hearts. And mm. we have three or four grandmas that will be coming in as NANAs into the lunchroom with various little things that they can't, but they're there to listen. They're there to teach in another way empathy to these children that they're listening to them and what they have to say is very important. And we have a new book that we're writing on resiliency that will be out next year that will be a follow-up to these programs in the schools. So I just want to tell you one thing that Taylor, I didn't know about Taylor and doing this book, and she writes her a little letter at the back of the book. I would take her to Kohl's. We would go to Kohl's because we didn't have the iPhones and we didn't. We did pictures and frames, and I would we'd go all the time and do pictures for everybody. And when we were doing this book, and she was writing, she said, "Nana, you remember when we would go into Kohl's? We would walk down those aisles where the picture frames were, and all the picture frames had happy families together." She said. It would make me so sad because even though I knew you loved me, where was my family? Where was my family? And so here I was going there to do something I thought was great, to make all these pictures and picture frames, and actually it was bringing her sadness. So it's the curiosity, and this is what our program is doing, is it's opening up children to have a voice and to experience through the true story of Taylor that they can talk about some of these things that happen to them. Yeah, and who doesn't need a nana to walk alongside <laughs> them and to pray for them and to just give them encouragement? Well, I encourage everybody listening to check out these two nonprofits, Pillows with Wings and Connect, Nourish, and Grow. Uh, and you have questions, if you have questions, you can give us a shout, and we'd be happy to uh, to answer those or point you in the direction. Um, in case you're looking for the book, you can get them on Amazon? It's on Amazon. Okay. Um, and if anybody has any questions, they can feel free to call me at Ellen Becker at 262-691-3200. And you can go mypillowhaswings.com. Okay. Well, we're going to take uh, one last quick break before we wrap it up with uh, founder and senior wealth advisor, Karen Allen Becker. So stay tuned and we will be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community. 
with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Relations, and I'm ending our interview having this last segment today with Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor of Ellen Becker Investment Group. So in addition to wanting to inform our audience, we want to inspire them and also impact them. How do we want to impact them? Well, we want to have an impact by moving our audience to the point of action. So at the end of the interview, we don't want them to just say, oh, isn't that nice? That was good information, a great organization, but then do nothing. We want them to do something. And that means we need to get the word out about the organizations doing great work in our community so that the audience knows what they can do to make an impact and then act on it. So my last question for Karen today is, um, what would your call to action be? You know, we, we ask for a call to action at the end of every show to, to kind of wrap it up and put a nice bow on everything, but also to help listeners get that opportunity to understand what might be needed for that nonprofit or just a statement that you have, if you have one thing that you think would wrap up everything we talked about today. I think there's two things. First thing would be listen to your intuition. And if you see something, if you feel something, if God is giving you that little tweak that says you can do something here, don't be afraid to go do it. Because if he's giving you that inclination, that idea to do it, it means he's going to support you along the way. You don't have to do it alone. That's the thing that I learned. You don't have to do it alone. But go for it. Go for it. And it, it is exhilarating to know that you can make a difference. And so with my charities, the one thing that I'm looking for, of course, I have to raise money, but this is a startup that I already have the schools. I'm going to have over a 1,000 kids next year in this program, and I'm looking for businesses in the community where our schools are to step up and adopt the school and to provide the books. And if I could do this all for free and absolutely not have to charge a school, you know, they get such a small amount right now that I would like to be able to give this program to schools free of charge. If you would like to volunteer, if you would like to go online and you can donate to the school books, it's about $60 per child for the books, the workbook, the pillowcases, um, the markers, all of that, plus the wonderful event, um, the Connect, Nourish, and Grow events, the kickoff and the end of the school year for the parents. So there's so many ways, but don't, don't procrastinate. God is talking to you and giving you an idea. He needs people to solve some of the problems that we have. He wouldn't be asking you to do something if there wasn't a need for it. And when that need is there and when you can you can gather people to walk along with you, you don't have to do it alone. You can, you know, people will be there. People will show up. The right people will help you to initiate and do a startup company. And I this is my fifth one. So it. <laughs> It's possible. It's all successful, all is possible. I might add, too. All is possible. Yeah. And all God's asking for or looking for is people who will say yes to the opportunity that he's presenting. So uh, thank you, Karen, for sharing your personal and professional journey with us and all the ways that you make a difference for individuals and the community you serve and for living your dash well. 
Uh, I hope everyone got a chance to get to know you a little bit better and understand how you and your daughter, Julie Ellen Becker, our president, run a successful, socially responsible organization and take that out into the uh, into the community quite well. Um, if you'd like further information about what we talked about today, you can reach out directly to me or Karen by calling our office. If you know of a great organization that's doing great work in our community that you think would be a great guest on the show, tell me about it. Email me jill at ellenbecker.com i'd love to have them featured on the show tune in next sunday morning at 10 to milwaukee's philanthropic community to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community a great place you can tune into news talk 1130 on your radio or you can go to newstalk1130.com on your computer or you can listen on your cell phone via the iheart radio app i also encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows or now you can even listen on demand at spotify stitcher google play or apple podcast so karen shared today a number of different ways she's making a difference both personally and professionally I encourage everyone to give some thought to how you can make a difference in some way for someone in our community, whether that's by donating, volunteering, or advocating for any of the great nonprofits highlighted on this show, or perhaps you have a desire to start your own nonprofit. Whatever it is, find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Thanks for listening today, and have a great day.